Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 630 episodes of the Survival Podcast thus far. Made a improper note there on my whiteboard for today's notes, so I almost messed that up. Yeah, but 630 episodes of the Survival Podcast. This will be one of the last ones, last maybe probably maybe 10 more, maybe at the most 20 before it's going to be from Hot Springs, Arkansas, because that move is coming, uh, accelerating uh, now all the stuff we got to get done to get out of here. I uh, really appreciate you guys that have helped make the show successful enough that that move is possible. Uh, today we have a great show. It is uh, March 23rd, 2011. It is a Wednesday. I'm probably on my way to Hot Springs as you listen to this. Uh, but I brought one of my good friends back on the show for uh, this interview, Mike Gazer, who is uh, one of the most switched on people I know in the financial world. He has kind of a gloomy view, but there's been a lot to be gloomy about. Uh, he's referred to over in this uh, program that he's on in the UK once a week as the Prince of darkness, but I think it's only because he's honest and willing to look at things. I do have some things that I predicted that I was right about and he was wrong about. We'll see how he feels about that uh, a bit later today, but I think that on the underlying uh, issue we agree completely, and that's part of why I brought him on. I'm also bringing him on to talk about what economic impacts we might see from the uh, the disaster in Japan. I think a lot of people are still freaking out and worried about crawling in a hole in the ground because they think a radiation particle is going to get you in uh, Los Angeles from uh, Fukushima. And I just don't think that's going to happen, but I do think there should could be some major economic issues, uh, including things like the Japanese cashing in uh, treasuries uh, to pay for reconstruction. So I'm going to ask him about some stuff like that. Before we do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors and our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one, as always, is taking care of our sponsors. And sponsor of the day number one today is Emergency Essentials. Emergency Essentials is a great company and a great website. It's not just about the catalog and all the cool stuff you can buy for your prepping needs, and they really specialize in long-term food storage. Uh, that's really the core of what they do. But they also have a great set of informational articles on getting started, assessing your needs, things like that. They have a newsletter. They have a catalog. Make sure when you go to their website, which is beprepared.com, kind of like the Boy Scout model, uh, beprepared.com. Which kind of makes me ask, how did they get that domain? You'd think the Boy Scouts being prepared would have been prepared to grab their own domain name uh, for their own motto uh, when, when the domain registrations came out. But anyway, Emergency Essentials have it, and they, they, they have it for a good reason. That's what they help you do. They help you be prepared for whatever may come your way, whether it may be an emergency caused by man, an emergency caused by nature, or an emergency caused by man on top of nature, which is where we have, well, I'm going to ask Mike about that today. You can... Uh, uh, hear what he thinks about that type of a combined disaster uh, in just a minute. 
But Emergency Essentials is a great place to be prepared for having the essentials for whatever you need for whatever emergency comes your way. Uh, next up today, make sure you connect with us by our social media outlets. We do some cool stuff there, like naming the new Hot Springs uh, t Survival Podcast headquarters and just a lot of little pieces of information that I get that I can't fit into the show. I pass on through Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, YouTube. I do product reviews and instructional videos. So connect with us there. You'll find all of the ways to connect with us at the Survival Podcast. Com. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. 20 videos by me that are available nowhere else, uh, including one video that's a 30-minute video on building a uh, composting system, which, you know, I could put that in a DVD and probably sold it for $15 and had no complaints. Um, there's also a lot of great discounts available, and I'm working on getting you guys some more this week. It may take a while to get them into the MSB because I am away this week, but I'm doing what I can to add in 2011 some more premium partners for the Member Support Brigade, and I've got some good ones on the wings. We'll see if we can bring them in all the way and get them to commit to a year uh, minimum. That's what it takes to be part of the MSB. All right, folks, as I said, it's uh, my good pleasure to welcome back to the show Mike Gazer. Mike, of course, being one of the, uh, the one of the guys I consider to be one of the most financially switched-on guys there is out there with a lot of inside information financially and uh, also quite a bit of a homesteader. So we have him on to talk about all kinds of stuff with us today, some of the economic factors that are going on out there and uh, some of the stuff he's doing uh, at his little uh, homestead up there in Connecticut. Mike, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jack, you know I love it. Good to be here. Well, hey, I, I wanted to kind of get off on a subject right away that everybody seems to be really thinking a lot about right now, and they're thinking about it in, in ways, and I've done enough episodes recently where I basically said calm down, don't panic, but of course it's the, the tsunami slash earthquake slash nuclear meltdown in Japan, and I think there's a lot of hype around this right now with, you know, people, you and I were talking offline about people paying a hundred bucks for a bottle of iodide, uh, and stuff like that. But I'm actually concerned long term about the financial implications here. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, that's a very timely topic, Jack. And, and the thing is, will there be economic impact? The answer is yes, because clearly uh, I heard this morning that to Toyota's bringing a plant that it had offline back online, but clearly industry, Japan is the third largest economy in the world, barely third. China just recently passed it, and this is slowing them way, way down. So that's just bad for a global economy, which now I don't believe, honestly, that we were really – accelerating out of any real recession here. But when you've got one of the world's biggest economies uh, devastated, you know, uh, geographically, physically devastated, like Japan is right now, that's not good for the world's economy. So there's no, there's no even negotiating that. Um, is it really going to affect the U.S. economy? I'm not sure. Uh, small parts, people forget that a lot of, Well, not a lot. Almost everything that we use today, this uh, phone I'm talking to you on, um, hotel doors, all have these microscopic computer chips in them. A lot of those are manufactured in Japan, including even those flash memory cards you use in your digital camera and, and elsewhere. I, there's going to be pockets. Devastating, I don't know, but we were in a fairly precarious situation before this whole thing even happened, so this, this doesn't help. Uh, I've heard people try to argue it'll be good for the Japanese economy, which has been really sucking it for 20 years. But 
But I mean, yes, they do have to do a lot of rebuilding. But there's also the people that think World War II got the U.S. out of the Depression. Um, it was somewhat helpful. But these are not always that productive of things, rebuilding stuff that was already fine in the first place, which is effectively what the Japanese situation is, will put some people to work. But I, you know, any sensible person would say that's kind of a waste of money. Uh, agreed. One thing I've had a couple of people bouncing off me, and I want your take on this, because I think it's, I think it's being well overblown by people that want to sound intelligent right now. But it's that you know, obviously, one concern we have is Japan is one of a very large group of holders of large amounts of U.S. Treasuries, and that they'll have a need for cash here, which means they may go and dump a bunch of their Treasuries. Do you think that that, that could be uh, enough to be really significant when we look at? You know, holders like the UK and holders like China and what have you that already are holding gobs of this stuff anyway. Um, the direct answer is yes, they are going to sell some. Uh, big impact. I don't. I don't know. Actually, right now, uh, it's not good in a supply and demand market if the Japanese start selling off some U.S. Treasury bonds, which is how the U.S. borrows their money. It's going to drop the price and raise rates significantly. I don't know, and it's probably a whole other show for you and me to do at Federal Reserve talking about quantitative easing three. Because since I talked to you last, they've also they've already stuck two in there, and three seems to be like on the table for any moment. So uh, that could help pick up the slack of the Japanese selling some. Uh, but uh, I. I I don't know. I'm not. I'm not yet in the camp of panicking, ready to jump off a bridge over the, the devastation that it could cause. They're going to need some money. They got to invest at home. They're going to have to sell some. But how how bad? I don't think so. Not too bad. Yeah, I think there's a lot left to be seen too. I mean, we do have to realize that as bad as this looks on our TVs, it's a relatively small piece of Japan. It's not like this happened in downtown Tokyo. And I mean, you can look at the United States coming back from from 9/11, for instance. And now, I think their disaster has a greater toll on on life and property. But I, I don't know that it would be that much bigger of an impact on the economy of the country as a whole. Um, so, you know, I think we, we've seen nations hit like this come back and, and, and put things back together in the past. And Japan, whatever Americans want to think of them, the Japanese are a very dignified, hardworking, uh, we're all in it together type of group. You even watched, I mean, the, these, I've seen so many what appear to be senior citizens just not only cleaning up their own properties, taking it upon themselves, to fix their own problem. I mean, the Japanese are going to come out of this better than damn near any other country on earth. Uh, and probably will, will uh, come up with some breakthrough technologies, uh, thanks to it. That's what they've always been good at. The United States, we would invent something, like come up with some idea. The Japanese would just take that idea, make it better, faster, and, and whatnot. I, I can't imagine this is going to be different than that. Yeah, I, I, the other thing I, I think that we we might see out of this is that um, maybe I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. The, the 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 entire focus right now is 
you know, how devastated these guys are and how this is like going to be a forever thing to rebuild. But what you're talking about with that ethic there and uh, just the mentality of the Japanese people, I said this on the air uh, last week. I bet you that they will have things pretty much back to, back to normal as can be the case because there might be some spots that are like irradiated for a long time that are, are, you know, have to be walled off. But other than that, I think they'll be back on their feet before we put a tenant into the new World Trade Centers. A single tenant conducts a single day's worth of business there. Um, I do understand they're up to like the 50th floor now on one of the new towers, but, I mean, my God, we've been playing with that for 10 years. I think they'll come back from this quicker than we came back from 9-11. I, I, I could not agree with you more. Uh, the, of, all, of all societies on Earth, none, is, none has a better temperament and work ethic uh, to, to do that than Japanese. So, uh, and... Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged. It saddens me. But you know what's interesting? I don't even remember how long ago Haiti was. Everybody that I talked Just to, over a year. Just over and, a year. And you're talking about 50 stories. I don't think anyone is out of their tent in Haiti yet. I, I Don't get me going on that. Where did all that money go, man? That's what I want to know. Well, Where's that money? Well, I can tell you where some of it didn't go, and that was Haiti. Um, I don't know, you, you don't listen to the show all the time, but there was a guy that I had on here named Brandon that was, did set up his own little nonprofit. He's a paramedic out of Florida, and they were on the ground in Haiti like three days after the initial earthquake, and he's been back like five or six times, and they're down there saving lives, and basically he's saying, every four bucks I get my hands on, I save a kid's life because of diarrhea medication. And that's what these kids are dying of down there now. And he told me that there was like, I can't remember the number, but it was some ungodly amount of money the Red Cross took in. And this is a guy that's been on the ground there repeatedly. And he said, and I quote, I have never seen a Red Cross tent in Haiti. I have never seen any evidence. I saw one bundle of blankets that came from the Red Cross in multiple trips where he's out seeking the worst areas impacted. And the way he had put it, he said, if you could have took Haiti... I think it was like $90 million. She said, you could have took Haiti and cut it up into 90 little squares and gave every square a million dollars and done more than the Red Cross will ever do there. So, um, yeah, I'm telling people to help out in Japan right now, but I hate to say this, but I'm telling them not to do it through the Red Cross. No, well, I, there was a lot of money raised from uh, that George Clooney telethon and Wycliffe Jean, who got shot or stabbed or whatever just the other day, which I'm waiting to hear more on that. But uh, it just, I remember numbers well in excess of $100 million, which, you know, I don't know Haiti that well, but God almighty, I would think that would rebuild the whole damn thing. I would think you could almost buy Haiti for a hundred million dollars. The whole land, the whole landmass. It's uh, it's not that big a place. I do want to shift a little bit with you now, though. I do want to talk a little bit about the current economy. The current uh, is, is you and I both agree, kind of a false recovery. But we have had some differences on this. I said when I had you on the air last time that the Dow was going to hit twelve five. You said the, that the recovery was over. You hoped it got out. I almost got there, and it, 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 it retreated back, but. Um, I actually see this thing somewhat sustained. Not, I, I know what you're going to say. It's, it, the fundamentals haven't changed. The underlying problems are still there, and I agree. But I think that the PR campaign has some success left in it. Am I still wrong? Uh, this is always a frustrating thing for an old bond market guy like me. No, the fundamentals aren't there. No, I don't believe the recovery was ever real. 
uh, it's a public relations campaign. Um, since you and I spoke the last on the air, the uh, let's pick a state. What do you want? California, Illinois, Wisconsin, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York. It's one train wreck after another being papered over with more debt. Uh, they can, they're kicking the can down the road. And the problem I have in these kinds of conversations is the stock market does not have to be rational. It has not been rational. But uh, I, I don't know when the check comes. It's been quite a party. Everyone's been having plenty of drinks, and it's all a really good time. But, I mean, these bills have to get paid. Any American, anybody listening to the show right now knows one thing. If I asked them what caused this problem, they'd say in a word, debt, too much debt. Well, you know what? I don't know why Americans aren't thinking about it or talking about it, but do you know how much more debt we're in right now than we were in 2007? Trillions of dollars more debt at every level. Uh, you know, consumers have not done much with tearing down their own personal debts. Uh, corporations are in plenty of debt. The municipalities and federal governments are a nightmare. Never mind Ireland, Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal. Don't get me started. Ireland is moments away from being done. Put a fork in them. So I don't know when any, anyone's going to face the fact that something's going to have to happen. Massive tax increases, brutal cuts in services, or just outright defaults on all this stuff, which means the pension funds, insurance companies, and whomever else owns all this debt, uh, they're going to be sucking it too. So, I mean, I, it's, you can keep kicking the can, but, man, oh, man, that check, the waiter always shows up at the end of the night with a check. And, I, I agree uh, with that. I agree with that. I, like, I think he's like, when you and I were talking about this before, we said the people that, that ran up the check, they're going to be in the men's room climbing out the window sure. when the check gets here. Sure. They're not so going to pay it. Right, and their kids and grandkids are the ones at the table. You know, um, I did an article back in December. I called Seven Deadly Cracks on the False Recovery. And kind of like two that are almost the same, but they are different, that I want, I want to get your take on because you're bringing some of it up here. And I think it's where we might see this check start to come due is at the state and the city level. We've got cities and states across America that are, for all intents and purposes, they are bankrupt. But they're hanging on right now. But I, I, I put it this way on the air, Mike. I said, you know, when we heard, you know, Portugal's in trouble or Greece is in trouble, look, the market tumbles, everybody starts freaking out. What do you think is going to happen one day when somebody actually has to come on TV and say the governor of California or the governor of the state of New York says that, that the state of New York is bankrupt? I mean, right. that's got to have a much bigger impact than freaking Portugal or Greece. Well, California all by themselves, their economy is bigger than Australia's, just just them. So something, and the problem they have, I, what is what is impressive, I guess, is the fact the only reason they're still open for business right this minute is because the bond market investors are still willing to lend them money. Uh, that's how they're, they're papering over these gigantic budget gaps. Like, you know, to, to move it right to the federal level, um, I heard, you know, of course, we have the new Congress, yada, yada, and they're going to talk tough and cut things. But when they immediately take um, all the sort of uh, mandates and the defense budget, so Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, uh, federal pensions, and the military off the table, that leaves 15% of the federal budget. 
And if if they actually cut out that entire, if they just eliminated that 15%, what most Americans don't realize is the budget still wouldn't be balanced this year. It would never be balanced that way. It's the, what you're saying is the only thing that they're talking about cutting is the, uh, the discretionary spending. And the non-discretionary is 80, 80% or more of the budget. And they're looking at that like a poison pill, like we can't touch it, but that's where you got it. I mean, I, I guess I'll put it this way. If you have a household and they're in chaos and they know they have to cut expenses, the very first thing the household looks at is what are our biggest expenses, and our government's doing the complete opposite. They're saying, what are our smallest expenses? Right, and, and negotiating those. And I love, I love the fact that, like, they get, you know, the government gets, the Republicans get their panties in a bunch, and they're going to cut NPR, which I don't listen to NPR, so if they cut it, I don't really even care. But you know what? It's a rounding error in the, in the, in the scope of the federal government's budget. It's stupid. It, it, it gets attention. They have these little films of this dope talking about the Tea Party. I mean, you know, I, I could care less about public radio or, or public television, honestly, because I don't watch it or listen much. But, 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 but Americans get caught up, and the, and the politicians know that Americans are listening. That it's about time we cut funding for Big Bird. Okay, knock yourself out, man. Cut it. But, but big, you know, I don't, I'm fine with not paying for Big Bird anymore. I really don't want to. I would be happy about that. But but Big Bird isn't bankrupting the country. No, Big Bird's around you. You don't even notice. <laughs> you know, there's more money than that lost in the sofa cushions at the Pentagon. We, we feed the guy bird seed. I mean, come on, it's not going to solve our issues. They, I, no, I, I, the one that got me is we're at a three point something trillion dollar deficit. And they're, and they're, and they're fighting over cutting a hundred billion dollars. And a hundred billion dollars to you and me, that's a lot of money. I'd, I'd like a hundred billion if you got an extra hundred billion on you, Mike. Send it on over. But when we look at what that actually represents to the total budget, it's, it's one of those uh, points in that three point something trillion. There's a, you know, there's this, what is a thousand, a thousand billion in a trillion? And they're going to cut 100 billion from 300,000 billion. I mean, it's just, I, 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 and then people actually think this is a big deal and they're going to actually have a fight about it for us. And I think that fight is nothing but PR. But you know what? I've got, I've got to write about this in a, in a more profound, detailed way. I think the collective attitude, as I'm starting to sense it, like in the American public, Everyone knows somebody who was, you know, the people that they know they're going bankrupt. You know what I'm saying? They just know it. They're going to lose their house. They're going bankrupt. They're just screwed. And their attitude flips over where they actually go on a little, like, almost drunken spree of their own. Might as well charge up the cards. True, it. I'm not going to pay it anyway. I, You know, I even yeah. know a guy. I know a guy personally that is, is getting ready to declare bankruptcy. And his bankruptcy attorney told him, while well, your credit's still good, go out and buy a really expensive car because you don't owe enough to, to pull off a good bankruptcy right now. You need to increase your debt before we declare. Right. And that's, that's I think, the, the you know, Americans' collective attitude is, uh, you know what? We're already broke. You don't really get broker. We're already bankrupt. You don't get bankrupter. So screw it, you know, three, three trillion, two trillion, one trillion, one million, who, who the hell cares? It's, you know, we're all screwed, you know, so I think that's the attitude. 
So, so might as well enjoy it on the way. So hang over. You know, it's like I guess it's when you're on like your eighth highball of the night. You know the hangover is going to suck, but it's already going to suck. So go ahead and order another round. Let's do it. Sure. <laughs> sure, this is fun. So, I mean, what do you think? You know, obviously neither one of us are such. If either one of us were so good at timing that uh, that we could tell you exactly when this is going to happen, we'd have that hundred billion dollars, right? So yeah. we, we we can't say exactly when, but when this starts to fall apart. What do you think it looks like? Do you see it like starting at the municipality level and the state level and working its way up? What do you see happen to the country when this when this when this doing this check does come to and we do we can't punt again? Here, here, here are the facts as I see them. These, the money is going to run out. Where the domino, the first domino to go over, I don't know. But here, here are the facts as we know them. Uh, a, a gigantic amount of uh, municipalities, small, medium, and large states uh, are all in very big trouble, uh, and uh, they all owe more than they really can afford to pay. And uh, uh, Wisconsin was a microcosm of, of uh, you know, there's a lot of states in worse shape than Wisconsin. Wisconsin just got a lot of news. Um, but, but, but the problem, and this is what I don't know, when you move it up to the national level, uh, you know, United States first. I already brought up Ireland, Greece, Portugal, Spain. Um, somebody's going to end up defaulting, you know, and that's just inevitable. Somebody's going to be unable to pay. And what I'm concerned with, there's a few things here. Number one, I don't think uh, politicians of either side uh, and uh, or Tim Geithner at the, at the Treasury or Bernanke at the Federal Reserve I don't think they believe for a minute there's enough political will to bail anybody else out. If California suddenly needed something, or New York, or Illinois, or name whoever you want, I can't imagine the politicians all folding it back in like they did for TARP and just saying, okay, a trillion, let's just do it. We can't let California fail. And the other thing with the, with the failing, I mean, every American heard about the companies that were too big to fail. Oh, that was a real problem. Well, we have less companies now than we did. I mean, Bear Stearns is gone. Lehman is gone. Uh, Merrill Lynch is effectively gone. They've been sucked. Their market seg their market segment is gone. Have you seen an investment banker lately? Well, but here's the problem. Rem let's let's remember Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. Uh, Morgan Stanley, I mean, every big investment bank, quote-unquote, is not an investment bank. They're all commercial banks and all members of the Federal Reserve and all able to borrow little, literally infinite amounts of money from the Fed, which, you know, is going to be end up bailed by taxpayers, too, if something happens. Infinite amounts of money at effectively 0% interest. And how do you let them go now? Because you couldn't let them go before, and we had more companies to spread the risk. So if one of them did go, well, there was at least others to pick up the slack. Well, there's less now. How can you let them go now? Well, it, it, you, you, you keyed me in on this, too. The other thing about that is, is they're basically getting this faucet of free money from the Fed, and they're huh. taking that money, and what they're doing with it is they're going back to the, to the Treasury and buying U.S. Treasuries with money from the Fed, so it's kind of like it's it's a quantitative it's like it's quantitative easing infinity uh, that they're that they're hiding. Because if I said to you, Mike, I'll tell you what, I'll give you all the money you want 
tax-free or uh, interest-free, how much would you want? You'd take as much as you could carry. And, it, and, I, and, I, and I could lend it back to you and charge you 3% interest. I mean, that's the biggest scam on the planet. I, I hope people understand what you're talking about here. You want to explain that a little bit because I've been oh. screaming it since I first heard it from you, and, I, and people are telling me it can't happen that way. Oh. It's impossible. Bullshit, it's happening. Tell, tell them what's going on here. It is actually, people, I, I'm flattered when they think I'm, I'm, it, that it can't be this easy. If you are a large commercial bank, like the ones I just mentioned, those are the members of the Federal Reserve. Americans have heard of the discount rate. You know, the Federal Reserve is changing the discount rate. Quite simply, the discount rate is the interest rate that commercial banks can borrow from the Federal Reserve. And that's what all the banks I mentioned can do, borrow from the Federal Reserve at effectively, right now anyway, 0%. What they have been doing now for going on two and a half years is borrowing from the Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve prints the dollars, lends them to the large banks at effectively 0%, just fractions higher, minuscule. But they take the borrowed money, the commercial banks do, lend it to the U.S. Treasury, the United States government. They buy five- and ten-year Treasury notes, which currently are yielding in the order of 25 to 3.5%. And that's the end of the story. It's a very... Uh, incestuous, circuitous situation. Uh, you borrow from the Fed, lend it to the U.S. government, and uh, it's like the shampoo bottle tells you. R rinse and repeat. So uh, commercial banks, my most recent newsletter, and people, if they want my newsletter, just go on my website. Just Google Mike Gazer, G-A-S-I-O-R. You'll get 180,000 results. But uh, you'll find my newsletter uh, easily. But the... Uh, And I'll put it in the show, and I'll put your site and your newsletter links and all in the show okay. notes today. There you go. And I, did, I sent you that newsletter, didn't I? Socially yep. useless. That, that was the title <laughs> of my newsletter. That's that, that my opinion on the commercial and investment banking industry right now. They no longer serve any useful social purpose at all. It was one thing when, you know, Dax Spirico had a few extra thousand bucks because he'd, he'd saved his money for his whole life. And he's got it in the bank, and the bank is paying him some amount of interest rate. But then Mike Gazer wants to open a hot dog cart business, and I need to borrow some money. So I go down to the bank, and the bank's paying Jack 4%, and the bank would lend me the money and charge me 7%. And, and that, that is socially viable. Jack's making a few bucks, you know, for being a good American, saving his money, earning some interest. Mike's selling some hot dogs and building a business and creating an economic boost, and then There the bank know. gets a few bucks, and everybody, everybody's kind of an equal partner in the arrangement. They're, they're making yeah. a profit on my money. I'm giving it to them for a profit, and they're loaning it to you, hopefully, so you can go make a profit. That's, that's good. It's good business. The bank makes some dough. Jack's making some dough. Mike's growing the economy. You know, that's, and, 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 As an American, I would support the government. Not, when I say be involved, well, FDIC insurance is nice, and making sure that the bank is regulated so they don't get out of hand, that's nice too. You know, fair is fair. But at least there's a socially viable reason for that bank to exist. For the bank instead, because ask anybody, anybody listening, ask any friend of yours who runs their own business how it's been getting credit from a bank lately and prepare yourself for a long night. Banks aren't doing it. 
They're doing what I just told you they do. Borrow from the Federal Reserve. At zero. But, but that can't be true. That can't be true because Bernanke said the whole point of this quantitative easing was to shove money into the bank so they would loan it into our economy. So you're telling me the chairman of the Fed is lying? Yes. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> So, 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 Mike. Let's say I get a, I get a, I call, I get some good news today. You know, an uncle I never, uh, never really knew happened to drop over dead and leave me a million dollars. And of all the people I know, you're the most switched on financially guy I know. So I call you up and say, I just came into a windfall of a million bucks. What do I do with my money in this this, this current market? Well, where would you tell me to put that? I know you're not a financial advisor per se in that type of thing, but just one friend to another. You know, what do you think I should do? Well, the first thing you should do is obviously buy me a nice big steak dinner. But uh, done. But while we're eating, while while we're eating the steak dinner, then I would probably tell you. See, here 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 is this is more wisdom, and I want people just to consider the wisdom of it. And this is me watching the markets for thirty years because the markets are are mean, they're cruel, and and the thing is, right now cash is paying you nothing. I mean, short-term interest rates on a money market account is its nauseating. That is forcing people to go, uh, I would say, to places they probably aren't as comfortable with but feel they have no choice. Uh, if I get a five-year CD, I can at least get three. Uh, if I buy IBM stock, I'll get X percent dividend. And that's all fine and dandy, but the thing is, it's like everything in life. Uh, if, if stuff seems, to, and hard to believe, 3% would be too good to be true. Um, but uh, cash is at least paying a positive number. And and I think I've said this every time I've been on the show. I've never seen so many different ways as right now to get your kneecaps broken. Uh, you can get your kneecaps broken in gold, in oil, in grains, in stocks. God almighty, if you're in the bond market and rates start to climb, I mean, you're just going to be toasty then. I've never seen so many different ways to get busted up. Um, and and if cash looks like the last thing you should do, I'm not saying necessarily put it in mayonnaise jars and bury it in your yard, but that ain't bad. Um, I don't buy into all this precious metals and all this other nonsense. This is an enormously... Uh, uh, it's a very, it's a very powerful inflection point where I feel something is going to happen. Not to like use the earthquake analogy, but but I feel that pressure building up, and something something's going to have to give. Uh, and think of all the things that almost did it recently. The Japanese thing really started to send the markets into a real into the crapper. Libya, Egypt, Bahrain. I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of pressure. Uh, at the moment, I think, in the markets and in the economy. Nothing is mechanically or structurally fixed, um, and, I, and I don't know what it is that's going to set the, set the torch, but uh, I, I just get that. It's just, that's just gut instinct on my part. Something's, something's due to happen. And when, I, know you're you know, not big, I know you're not big on gold, but don't you see some level of safety with, with some small portion of a person's wealth in gold right now? Because all these things you're telling me about basically say the dollar is 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 dead sooner or later we're gonna we're gonna end up with just a a tanked currency and at that point is not a few ounces of gold better than some worthless paper uh well here's the thing though um 
see, this is you now. You're, now you're drawing the economist in me out of the. Out, I try. I try very hard not to be the the lectury academic here. But the fact is, okay, the dollar goes in a crapper. Not to get all technical on you. I hope I'm not talking over everyone's head. But the dollar's in the crapper. Uh, hyperinflation, perhaps. And now uh, gold goes from where is it about fourteen hundred? It's three grand. Yep. Okay. 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 Just let's pick something. What costs fourteen hundred bucks right now? Uh, nice LED TV, maybe. Nice sure. Fifty-five inch. Yeah. Okay. Well, if the dollar's in the crapper, the Vizio TV is going to be three grand. Okay. And your ounce of gold is three grand. Okay. So you know we're always measuring the relative value of the gold by the amount of dollars or yen or pounds or euros it can buy. Uh, let me put it so, to you this way, though. I, I I completely agree with you. I do not see metal as a long-term profit play. I see it more as an insurance play because you could say that, but if I sit on $1,400 in cash, when that TV costs me three grand, I can only buy half the TV. And if I'm holding well, gold, you. now I can buy at least the whole TV. I hear you. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, uh, would anybody be shocked? If gold suddenly dropped back to a thousand bucks, I mean, how long ago was it? It crossed a thousand bucks. It's within a year, right? No, I, you're preaching the choir here. I'm I'm iffy on gold purchasing right now. No, I, I'm not I, big I on selling it either. You know, I know you never like. No, I'm not you don't like it was three hundred bucks, and you don't like it now that it's uh, fourteen hundred bucks. I, <laughs> I I find people are just too, too hardcore on everything. They're too hardcore on whatever their thing is. They're too hardcore on gold. They're too hardcore on oil. They're too hardcore. It, your your question was fine. Yeah. Is, is it is it smart to have some of? Oh, okay, sure. It's as good as anything else. It's as good as oil. It's as good as stocks. It's as good as corn. It's as good as coal. You know, whatever. But it's just is. But but people that really like it, they think that should be the uh, de facto currency. Oh, we completely but, but, agree there, Mike. I I have no illusions of gold being the quote answer. I'm a. I know you're not much bigger on silver. I'm a little bit more um, silver friendly right now than gold friendly. Um, but I I know what you're saying. All of these things are mitigated because uh, even with the you know you're you're a financial guy and I bring you on here to talk about money, but I also bring you on here to talk about things like homesteading because there's only so much we can do with money right now. You know there, there, oh, there's. Okay. You know, we can't, we can't, so I mean, but I guess my bigger question though is what do I do with my million bucks? Is, would $10,000 worth of gold be a good idea? Would I just, do I just sit on it? Do I, uh. Um, okay. Well, it, it, let me, then I, I didn't answer the question. If you, if, if you said you were going to have a million, okay, here we go. Um, I'd put $250,000 into a money market account. I might put, uh, 50 into, into gold, which is now we're at 300. Um, I might take uh, uh, another two hundred and actually put it in stocks, just in case you and I both don't know jack. No, no, no pun intended. Um, the other five hundred, I would put in CDs, ladder them. I'd buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of one year, two year, three year, four year, and five year CDs. That way, if interest rates were to snap on you, you would immediately have another hundred grand coming due a year from now. That would sort of well position you. You'd have half of it in fixed income, the CDs. You'd have a little bit of it in gold, as much as I could st- stomach to say. You'd have some some <laughs> of it in stocks, you know, just in case that we don't know what the hell we're talking about. And uh, and cash money, cash is king, baby. So that's you know. 
No, I like that, and that's that's kind of where I wanted you to get to for people, because I want people to understand that just because they hear me on the air and hear me say, you know, having some precious metals, I'm not like I'm not one of these gold freaks either, Mike. That says, you know, yeah. like you know, it take all your money. I've heard advice that's just miserable, like clean out your IRA and buy gold and bury it in your backyard, and I think that's oh, yeah. uh, just terrible, no. terrible advice. But you terrible do advice. you do some things outside of the financial world to be self-sufficient, self-reliant as well. I mean, people see your website, you've got your big boat and all, your yacht, and they, they think maybe you're just a just a money guy, but you actually have a pretty nice place you've set up there in Connecticut. Can we talk about that for a bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, I was doing an interview just the other day, and this came up. Um, I think the way it was asked of me, because the homesteading, if you will, pre- preparedness thing came up, and and the question was put to me like, are New Englanders just better at it than others? And 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 I'm saying that because the winter that we just experienced, and I think I told you uh, recently, there was 108, 108 inches of snow at my house this year. Uh, I've got 200 acres. About 185 of it is woodland. Um, but, uh, you know, in New England, like, I have a garden. I have a lot of things. I have a 35-tree orchard. I've got a very sizable strawberry and raspberry patch. Uh, my garden's fairly good sized, and this year I'm going to uh, raised beds. Uh, I just uh, finished my maple syrup, actually, just, just last weekend, not this weekend, the weekend a week ago. Uh, three gallons this year, good stuff. Mike, Mike Gazier, grade A, medium amber. Um, but back to the New England thing is uh, – it's pretty normal where I have lived, you know, basically my whole life to have a garden. Now, some people have bigger ones. Some people just have a few tomato plants and a few peppers, and but that's just how we do it. And 108 inches of snow, well, you know, we don't have earthquakes or tsunamis or, you know, hurricanes are sort of cute. They break some limbs and stuff. But, I mean... But we're ready because you better be ready. If you ain't ready, man, you're I was going to say, I mean, that's nine feet of snow, and I, I think that maybe yeah. people in northern climates, um, it's not maybe they're better at it. I think more people actually do something, though, because you got to, because there's no choice. It's not, it's like, well, there might be an earthquake in the next five years. There's going to be a winter every year. Every year. You know, and it was snowing. I had an inch of snow at my house today, this morning. So... Um, you know, and, and we had several power outages. One lasted 48 hours, and I have, uh, as you and I have discussed on other shows, I've got multiple generators. I've got a 15,000-watt propane one wired into the house. I've got 200-gallon, not 100-pounders, 100 100-gallon 100 tanks of propane to run that. I heat the house and my pool with wood. Um, you know, I got, I got more wood than Saudi Arabia's got oil, so screw them. You know, I wish I could put <laughs> You know, if I could only burn wood in my suburban, I'd be offset. Um, you know, so, but, but see, but, you know, what's funny is this whole preparedness, uh, homesteading thing, I never thought of that. This is just, this is just crap I'm supposed to do. That's how you better, you better be ready, you know? Well, I, I think know, I, that, I think that would be the case if, if people like you were the norm, though. And I think that even, even 25 years ago, it was, it was more normal for people to, to be doing the types of things you're doing. Today, and it seems like we're moving further and further and further away from that, and I think it's because people have believed that if the number of dollars was your your preparedness. That's your security blanket is money. I think we even have had financial advisors, or as I call them, financial liars, um, 
trading people that your security is all about your magic number or whatever crap they come up right. with, but you can't eat money. No, and, and but see, I think, you know, even the sort of hipster types, um, uh, there was an article, where did I see it? It was this weekend um, in one of the newspapers, weekend magazines, about the whole recycling thing being really sort of the bastion of the sort of yuppie, higher educated. But 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 here, but here was the thing: when when gas a couple of summers ago went to four dollars, I finally started to hear people wondering, uh, you know, why don't we grow more of our own food? If not in my yard, at least somewhere. You know, why don't we have more farmers? How how is it? economically sensible to fly this stuff in from Brazil or Chile or wherever the hell this stuff comes from. Uh, you know, would be better for, you know, Farmer Jones down the road to grow the damn tomatoes? Uh, you know, never mind growing some tomatoes in my yard. And uh, if, there's an, if there's an upside to $100-plus oil and $4 gas, is it's going to make people think of that. That, you know, even just running out to the supermarket. I mean, I, I think about that now, especially when I'm driving the, the big vehicle that gets like, you know, 8, 15, 12 miles to the gallon. That if, you know, just running out to Walmart or the supermarket for some little dinky item, it could be an eight buck trip. Exactly. And I think, I think that we're seeing, and I'm not a, a big, uh, foil hat guy, so on the peak oil stuff, I look at peak oil as something that we're going to eventually face. I don't know when. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but there's only so much in the ground, and we're burning it. So sooner or later, we have to reach a, a point but, uh, where we, we can't just keep sucking more uh, and burning more. We have kind of a, a point that we level out. And uh, recently, as part of this whole WikiLeaks thing, this thing came out with uh, a top geologists in Saudi Arabia admitting to the U.S. government and going, yeah, we've been lying. We don't. Re we can't really do what we say we can do. Uh, I mean, I think that as we see, so it's not really more of a like peak oil question, but just like your thoughts as an, at the economic level, the more it costs for our energy, the more I th see people taking this step backwards. Wouldn't you agree? Well, that, that that's when that's the economist in me too. When you make people think about it, and what makes them think about it is the money that makes them think about it. They'll think about the Prius versus the Suburban when gas is 475 a gallon. You know, when gas is 275 or 175, they're going to drive a Suburban. I would. Or remember I the know. good old days when it was 96 cents. That that was, yeah, you know, you, you, and we can. Well, I know, I know. You know, we could go back further, but I'm not. I'm not talking about that long ago, right? I'm talking. No, no. 90s no, was it was in it was under a buck. At least it was down in Houston. It was, I went down to Houston back in like 96. And I think gas down there was like 88 cents at one gas station. And we've come a lot. That's, that's, you know, when we look back, you say, well, in 1970, how much gas was? That sounds like a long time ago. 1996 wasn't that long ago. No. I, you know, here's the thing. I mean, for all my, because I can be kind of, well, I, I think you know my uh, the show that I'm on in London all the time, my nickname, The Prince of Darkness. That's uh, Which I'm still <laughs> not sure if I like that. That's, that's how they throw at me when it's my third. I like so it. So they throw to me, you know. So what is our, uh, what's uh, the Prince of Darkness over in the U.S. think about this? But but the fact is, humans are amazing. We will innovate ourselves out of this. The peak oil, who cares? You know what, we'll, we'll have cars that run on string beams, you know, because we could figure that out. But we're not going to figure it out if we don't have to. It's cheaper to pull oil out of the ground. 
right now. And, and, you know, but what I worry about is these knee-jerk political decisions. The BP oil spill in the Gulf, boom, we freeze all offshore drilling. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's insane to me because the innovation requires the energy that we're getting from the oil now to make the innovation so that we can get the energy from something else. But that's why, you know, maybe we shouldn't do deep water drilling. I don't know. But to, to make a decision like just like that? I would hope more thought would go into, you know, suspending a kid from school than, than went into, like, whether or not we should, you know, maybe we shouldn't have it. I don't know. But, damn it, some smart people should think about it before you make a decision like that. Agreed. Agreed. And now Japan, Japan with the nuclear plants, I don't know if Americans know it. I think the number, if it's important, look it up. I think it's 104 operating nuclear reactors in this country, and I think... I just saw a story. There was a, there's two somewhere in Texas where they're going to they were in the process of getting ready to add two more reactors, and there's already pushback on whether or not to let the two new reactors go forward. But but here's the problem, and I you and I have not talked about this. My dad worked for the utility here in New England for 40 years, uh, and as a summer job, I spent two summers working uh, shutdown in a nuclear plant. So I, I've worked inside nuclear power plants which I'm not even advocating for them, but this is the political part of it. 104 reactors all built in the last 40 years. Really no new ones coming online. Over the next 40 years, they're all going to have to be decommissioned. They right now produce 25% of all the electricity in the United States. In order to just stay even, we need two new reactors over two every year starting right now, just to maintain the level of nuclear power that we currently make. And, of course, everyone's wringing their hands, oh, Japan, tsunamis. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess my response to that is, you know, like one of the places they want to add this reactor is down in Hood County, Texas. And uh, and I'm not real worried about tsunamis in the middle of the Texas Plains. So I understand it, and I also understand that, like, if, if those reactors in Japan were modern reactors, we'd be having a hell of a lot less of a problem right now. They're 40-year-old technology. And then I guess the other nightmare scenario I see without what you're telling me is, okay, so we, we keep punting, just like we've done with the economics. We're going to punt with energy. And you say these things have to be decommissioned. Well, here's what's going to happen out of what you just told me. Here's what I see anyway. We're going to get to the point where we need to decommission them, and we're going to know we can't because we need the energy. Energy. Well, then we need to put new plants in. Well, we can't because we didn't do it, and now it takes too long. So we're going to end up at a point where we're going to have plants that should have been shut down, and we're going to have no choice but to keep them running. Right, held, held together by rubber bands and chewing gum. Awesome. That's a great thing to hold plutonium together with. Well, you know what's funny, too? I saw somebody made a really good point recently in some news story I was watching on television uh, about like the angst over nuclear uh, nuclear energy. I think, do you know the number, what percentage of our power is uh, 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 generated with coal? Isn't it in the order of like 50? It, it's over 50%. It's like 54 or 57 or something like that. Didn't we just have 29 miners die in West Virginia last year in a coal mine? Absolutely. You know? And another well, like saying. interesting fact, if you live within 50 miles of a coal generation power plant, you get more radiation off, you know, just off radiation, background radiation from a coal plant than if you live 50 miles from a nuclear plant. Now, of and course, if the, if the coal plant blows up, okay, yeah, we don't have Chernobyl, but I'm staying on a day-to-day operations 
the coal plant produces more radiation than a nuclear plant does that actually gets out into the atmosphere. Well, right, and never mind the green, you know, for the people with their panties in a bunch of greenhouse gases, which is fine. I don't want greenhouse gases. But, I mean, you got to pick a lane and drive in it here, you know? Pick a fight. You can just, it, I don't get it. It just, if somebody had a clean sheet of paper and was making a plan, and the plan that somebody came up with was the one that we're currently doing, they think it was the stupidest, stupidest idea ever. Like, how the hell did you think this up? Yeah. You know, yeah. You, know, you know what I, I'd love to do someday is get you and Chris Martinson on here for a roundtable conversation. I think that would be absolutely awesome. Maybe I can, maybe I can make that happen. I don't know if you're familiar with Chris and his work, but no. it's really, really so deep into the economic side of power production and energy and things like that. I think you guys would like each other. Okay. Um, I figured you were set- saying it's up to have a fist fight, but that's all right. No, 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 no. Actually, I think there'd be a lot of collaboration here, because he has a lot of the, the, the facts that go deeper into like the statistics and stuff that you're bringing up and how short we are going to be on energy if we don't do something. And I'm kind of with you. I'm like, you know, we will fix this, but it's a matter of how much trouble we'll create in the interim, because we're not getting serious about it, because like you're talking about we can't replace 25% of our energy overnight. We just can't do no. it. It, it can't, and we can't not use it either. It's, it, the system's not set up to run that way. Turning off light bulbs aren't going to do it. We could turn off Madison Avenue and it's not going to fix the real problem, uh, with our, our needs for energy. And we got to do something until we come up with these other technologies. And then these idiots do stuff like, I don't know if you remember this, but back about, Guys, it's like three or four years ago now. Uh, Schwarzenegger out of California was finally like, we're going to build the biggest solar plant, uh, solar uh, energy farm ever that's ever been done, and we're going to put these solar panels out in the middle of the desert where they can't possibly offend anybody. And uh, what's Feinstein and Boxer blocked it because it would interfere with the habitat of the desert animals to have a solar panel. And Schwarzenegger, who I'm not a fan of, but to his credit, said, if I can't put solar panels in the desert, where the hell can I put them? And of course, now you know where, you know where they're going to put them now, right? They're going to put them where they destroyed right. all the land by turning the water off, because the land's okay. not, now they got a new desert. So the man-made desert gets the the, the solar panels, and uh, I see real, real, real energy crisis issues, I guess, coming. And I don't, I don't know. I know I bring you on this show. When you hear crisis out of me, you're thinking off the end of the earth. I just mean the, the cost of living uh, and the availability of certain resources. Right, and it's just, it's all going to just continue to escalate, and that's when the innovation happens. That's, uh, the economics of it is just, it's always inescapable. When when one method is not working, then that's when somebody makes a better mousetrap. You know, people have escaped from Alcatraz, we've landed men on the moon, we'll figure this stuff out. And, you know, but there's no need to. We haven't needed to. Some, you know, what are some of the things you think people should do? You know, from a, from a, from your viewpoint, because you you come at this prepper uh, stuff a little bit different than I do. I come at it from a very I come at it the way you come at economics, right? I, I analyze it, I come up with systems, I come up with formulas. You're coming at it sort of like I started because I came out of the Northeast just like you, and we prepared because it was going to be cold. So, what do you think is just an average guy? That's, that's out there, you know, doing this stuff in practice that the average person could be doing right now so that as this change happens, they're better equipped to deal with it. 
Well, I mean, as much as modern life allows you to remove yourself from being that dependent. Now, you know, we, I, I don't like those curly Q light bulbs either, but they do really use a lot less energy. So, you know, anything that makes you less dependent, I mean, we're not all switching to candles. Not everyone has, uh, you know, endless amounts of firewood to heat their homes with wood. You know, but there are pellet stoves. There are, there's other things. And the preparedness part, too, I'm, I was the one lecturing about not getting too hardcore and overboard in anything. But it's good to have, uh, you know, some food and some supplies and some candles. And I don't know why anybody in America shouldn't have a generator, for God's sakes. You know, because I don't care where you are, hurricanes, ice storms, whatever, you can lose your damn power. And, and they're, uh, they're pretty cheap right now. It, it, in yeah. the middle of a hurricane, they're really expensive. Um, yeah, but well, it's just like, just like iodine pills like this morning, too, right? Exactly, exactly. If you're, if you're an American buying iodine pills right now, uh, you know, go slam your fingers in a door somewhere because it, it's like it's a smarter thing to do. But, okay, uh, was that out loud? No, nah, it was fine because if you heard some of my uh, my my episodes recently on that subject, I think we're insane. I'm glad somebody else is saying it, uh, especially on my show. That, that's it's great. But I mean, food storage. What do you think? I mean, if if somebody was, it wasn't me. It was just like a guy that you were talking to that knew you from the business world and found out about this part of your life and said, "Well, yeah, you got you've sold me on this. How much how much food should I have at least stored in my home? You know, what, what's kind of some minimums that you from your viewpoint, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily measure uh, like how many days. Here, I, I know I have well in excess of a month's worth of food. And the thing is, as much as freeze dried and all these other sort of like you know uh, bags of rice, the truth of the matter is, if if you keep it in a, if you if they're clean and in a fairly dry, cool area, standard canned goods from a supermarket. Can, I've heard stories about lasting decades perfectly fine, as long as they're not dented, rusting, and whatnot. I mean, so, you know, it's just some canned vegetables, some dinty more stew. Just people, I think people are overwhelmed with the idea to the point where they're frozen into inaction. They don't, they don't know what to do, so they better, they don't do anything. Well, do something. You know, a few cans of soup, man, some carrots, you know, some powdered milk. Some couple gallons of water, you know, something, you know, some candles, just in case. I mean, for a hundred dollars, you could probably put a month's worth of food together. For God's sakes, I think you could. It might not be the most uh, tasty food you've ever eaten, but uh, oh. I think you can go really far in a hundred bucks. We did a project um, with uh, just two two five gallon pails of, of of randomly stored food, and I think Perfect. we ended up cramming cramming about fifty bucks worth of stuff in there, and it was roughly three weeks worth of food for two adults, and that's but, you know that's a start, right? Hey, my supermarket. I just I just bought some. Is a, a, a tuna fish. What brand name? Bumblebee. Something. Star Kiss. Ten for ten for ten bucks. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, you know it's it's I, good I, to have a guy like you on where I can talk about the, these high level economic issues, and you don't think we're nuts because we do something that our grandparents did. I, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. You know, I, I go back. People think the Victory Garden is just some show on PBS now that I was making fun of the public television. But, you know, that came out of World War II when so many of our resources were going to, to fight the war. That's when FDR started that whole, you know, every, every American is patriotic to do so, to have a garden, a victory garden in your yard. 
so you can grow some of your own food, so we'll all have plenty of food. And, uh, and that was the, that's where the nickname came from, Victory Garden. Is, uh, it, it, it is patriotic. It's, it's what you're supposed to do. We should not just think that, like, children shouldn't think food comes from a supermarket. Kids should know where food comes from. Well, guys, you hear that? That's the kind. That's the reason that I brought a guy like Mike on the show right there because of things like that. And I, I, I hope that there's more and more people coming to this realization. Kind of finishing up with you, I'd like your thoughts on this. I was watching this uh, video on uh, YouTube today. I'll, have to, I'll email you the channel for these, these these folks. I just found them. They're called like the Urban Farming Guys or something like that. But they're going into like it's this tore up part of Kansas City. I mean, it's like it's as bad as like eight mile Detroit or something like that. And they're like five or six of them. They all bought houses next to each other. They're putting like little urban farms, aquaponic systems. Uh, they bought an old school they're restoring. And one of their points was not just growing food and teaching other people how to do it, but that there could be a really positive economic impact if people would go back to this concept of, of, of not blowing everything you have, but also just starting to grow local food again. I, I think there's room for economic growth in this country there, and at least it would be based on something. What do you think? How could it be bad? What is wrong with that? It's just it's wholesome. It's appropriate. The land, the, it's better than growing with just grass on it. Or it just, I, I'm, I'm shocked that people find this, uh, I don't know, what to, like newsworthy even. It's, it's nice that they're doing it, but I mean, this is what we used to do. I mean, up until literally the last 50 years. That's when everything changed. Everything changed really that way in the last 50 years. It was always appropriate to have your own garden, have some chickens, have a cow. And not everybody. You can, if you're living in Brooklyn, you can't do it. But you can have a tomato plant out in the balcony, fire escape, something. You know, everyone can help a little. That will, that will lessen the number of planes coming in from Brazil carrying tomatoes, for God's sakes. Absolutely, and it will also make us less dependent on uh, stuff like... Uh like all the vegetables that are not coming in from Mexico right now, because even though you guys had a lot of snow, we didn't get a lot of snow, but I don't know if you heard, it was like 15 degrees every day for a high uh, the week of the Super Bowl down here. It froze everything. Yeah. And, and, and these countries that we've relied on to produce for us out of season, uh, it went down into Mexico and southern Florida, places like that, and there's a big produce shortage right now, so I think we could rectify a lot of that. Now, maybe that doesn't that, that might mean we're not eating uh, green peppers freshly picked in February, but there's a lot of things we can grow in those colder parts of the year, so I'm completely in sync with you there. Mike, I appreciate having you on the show today. Uh, I will have people uh, be able to go by your site, get your newsletter, and things like that. I really hope you guys do that. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Mike today. It's kind of a change-up for the show. Uh, it takes me back to my uh, my Pennsylvania roots whenever I talk to a guy with, uh, I guess, what we call an accent uh, from the South uh, uh, when we have that, that on. So, Mike, I appreciate you being with us here today on the show, and you're welcome back anytime you'd like to come back. Always fun, Jack. Thank you, sir. Hey, Mike, uh, again, thank you for being on the air today. And, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spierko. Today, along with Mike Gazer, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
Revolution.